This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 237 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Victor Yurichek. Victor is a full-time real estate investor based out of Gainesville, Florida, who has completed 20 projects per year and is on the path to do over 40 flips this year. In this episode, Victor will tell us how we can leave our full-time jobs to do real estate investing full-time and how to market directly to sellers to get great off-market deals. So if you're a new real estate investor and you want to learn how to scale, then you definitely need to listen to this episode. This real estate market is still incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fixed and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for rental properties with rates as low as 4%, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener, and I'll give you a discount on our processing fee. And now, on to the show. Victor, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself, let us know who you are, and tell us what you do. Absolutely, and thanks thanks for having me. So my name is Victor. I'm out of Gainesville, Florida. I'm primarily a fix and flipper, so did about uh, 20 flips last year. 30 flips this year is the goal. And yeah, excited to be on your show. Tell us how you got into flipping houses. Uh, real estate was always something like in the back of my mind. Like it was always something like, let me do this thing. And then the next thing is going to be real estate. So it was always like, I'm going to finish this thing. And the next thing is real estate. And eventually realized like, why not just skip ahead directly to real estate? So I went full time about two and a half years ago. And before that, I was in, in healthcare. I was a home healthcare like administrator. So I helped run an office, kind of office manager, if you want to call it, a little bit corporate. And just wasn't where I wanted to be financially. And then also wasn't really enjoying the work. Like some people lit them up like, this is amazing. This is awesome. Uh, I want to do this forever is what other folks were saying, other coworkers. And for me, I was like, you know, it's fun um, and help, you know, enjoying, enjoyable to to help people, but it just it didn't spark me in that same way. So the real estate was always in the back of my mind. So I figured like, okay, let me just jump into it and went, did wholesaling for my first two deals and then started flipping and fell in love with the flipping. And I just, I just haven't looked back. That's so cool because I think we're in a very similar situation. Uh, about two years ago, I was also on the cusp of leading my full-time job as an engineer. So I went to school for it. You know, I did undergrad, I did master's degree. Um, I was working again in a field with satellites so some people, like when they're little kids, they like look up at the stars and say, oh my God, I want to work in space. I was working in space. I was living someone's dream, but it wasn't my dream. And so I was ready to leave. Um, so yeah, similar to you, I left my full-time job as an engineer two years ago and you know, haven't looked back since. I don't, I don't miss it at all. Yeah. So let's talk about leaving your full-time job and then sure. getting started. How was that like? And was that transition like painful for you? Yeah, I'd recommend as much as possible. Like some people are like, okay, well, I don't like my job. So I'm going to quit everything today. And like, I'm going to, you know, shift gears and do something brand new. I don't recommend doing that. Uh, so luckily, I had like an easier transition. So how I did it. So I was working full time. I was also doing Uber on the weekends. So I was living in Chicago at the time. So I made like 500 bucks a weekend driving like Friday night, Saturday night, a little bit of Sunday. So I like was making extra income that way. So like, okay, cool. Um, so basically started to get into the real estate little by little, um, you know, started to dip my toe in the water, started to get some traction. Like, okay, I think there's something here. Um, and then I quit my full-time job, still kept the Uber just so I can have, have some sort of income. And then I got my first deal, my first wholesale deal. I made about 3000, uh, second wholesale deal made about three and a half thousand. 
And then I slowly switched into full-time the real estate and like fixing and flipping and that sort of thing. But it was like a slow transition that I started thinking like really getting serious about real estate, probably like June, July of 2018. I closed my first deal like October. So just to give a sense of you know, your listeners here and like the time frame, it wasn't like one day to the next. I'm like, you know, screw everything. I'm out. I got to get rid of everything. And you know, this isn't working. It was like this slow transition. It took like six months. So that's why I recommend like, don't, you know, don't quit and tell your boss to, to F off, like work and make a nice transition to, um, so you don't like put your, put you and your family in a tough spot. Yeah. I mean, by the time I left my job, I already had six rental properties. I was house hacking my home and I had flipped some properties locally in the Bay area. So I felt confident, like, okay, I can leave and do this. And to your point, I know some people who join my meetup groups, they're brand new. They don't like where they're at and they just decide to quit and do wholesaling full time. But it's hard, right? Like it's hard yeah. to find these leads, especially in tough markets. And they maybe spend like six months to a year to get maybe one or two deals. And yeah. it's discouraging to have that long time frame without any closed deals. Yeah. And some deals like get delayed for, for legitimate reasons, like maybe titles taking some time or like maybe a survey has to be done or like funding maybe got delayed or um, this week here, like we had a little hurricane here, like a little tropical storm. So things got delayed. Like there's a full day that my entire town shut down here in Gainesville um, and things get delayed. So especially like if you have no income and that clock is ticking, like every week, you know, every month you're having bills come up and you're kind of living off savings while you're full time. That's tough. So like, I mean, proof is in the pudding with, with both of us here. Like, you know, we got some traction, then made the leap, you know, that, you know, we're pushing in the right direction, then made the leap. And that's what makes the most sense. That's right. And were you living in Chicago for your first few deals or did you move to Florida right when you quit? I was I was kind of in between. So I uh, my brother goes to UF here uh, working on his PhD and still is. Um, so basically what happened, I was in between like in Chicago and I was like, hey, this isn't working out. I want to do deals. So I moved to Florida and, uh, you know, started to do it that way. I didn't have to do it that way, but just it just made a lot of sense. Um, he was telling me, especially because I was basically just doing the Uber at that time. He was telling me like, hey, you can stay with me for a couple months for free. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm in. And so I basically I kind of stayed on his couch to, to get this up and running, you know? So why did you choose Gainesville, Florida out of, you know, all the states in the United States? Um, at uh, the first reason, like I did it was he was there. So I was like, I, I can do it virtually. I was cold calling at the time and I, I figured like I can do this virtually. So I was looking at deals in Miami and other parts of Florida at the time. Uh, so like, hey, if I can be wherever I want, like might as well be in a place where I can stay for free as well. Um, so it just made sense. And then I started looking at deals in Gainesville. I was like, I got a lot of traction, like did really well, got some deals and uh, the numbers were good. So like, okay, well, let me just continue to do deals here and I'll just set roots here. Is your brother's college in Gainesville as well? It is. Yeah. University of Florida. It's in okay, Gainesville. Got it. Go awesome. Gainers. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's talk about getting your first few deals. What were okay. you doing to even get them and how did that whole process work out? Yeah, so I was doing cold calling. So basically, you know, hop on a dialer and happy to get into details. So hop on a dialer um, and start calling people like, hey, any interest in selling your house? And if they say no, then, you know, have a nice day. If they say yes, then you can continue the conversation. So just cold calling and I still do that today. And um, it works. You know, it's a great way. It's a very like, I don't want to say organic. It's like a very gorilla. Like if you put in the effort, like you can get get uh and i was cold calling myself back then um but got my first i got a lot of deals cold calling, at least a dozen deals cold calling so it it still works today well you're very brave like i've tried cold calling before and i have a very negative experience with it uh, oh, really? i didn't, didn't enjoy the constant rejections maybe it's like a personality thing too how, how did you get over that fear of just getting shut down over time 
Uh, I found with the cold calling, like I would always be nervous to get started. But as soon as I get the first no, I'd be like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then like the rest of the cold calling would just be fine. So like the first like five minutes, I was uh, an anxious wreck. And then after that, I'm like, oh, that's the, he just politely declined and doesn't want to sell his property. Well, so you know, I'll just continue and, you know, continue calling folks. Uh, so that's how I, you know, how I look at it, especially nowadays, how I look at it is like, I'm a, I'm a professional problem solver. So I'm just trying to solve a problem. So part of that is like trying to find if a problem is even there. So like, is there a sale to be made is, is part of the conversation. So if there's not a sale to be made, like I can't help them out. I can't, uh, maybe they're in a position and I just, you know, I just can't add any value then, you know, it's, it's no hard feeling. So just, it uh, releases the stress that way. Cause if it's rejection, like, oh, they said no to me, they don't want to sell my house or they don't want to sell their house to me. Then you take it personally. But if it's like, hey, I'm trying to help this person. Oh, I can't help. Let me move on to the next person. It just softens the blow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, when you cold call people, they're often busy, right? They don't expect a call from you. They expect they don't expect their house to be on sale, right? <laughs> what is yeah. like your opener to get them to want to continue the conversation? Like they go ring, ring, ring. They go hello. What do you say? Uh, say John. Is this John? Okay. Yeah. This is he. Yeah. Hey, John, this is Victor. I'm calling about your property on 123 Main Street. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah, I was just reaching out. Any interest in potentially selling the place? Okay. Um, yeah, maybe. Okay, great. Well, yeah, I'm. my name is Victor. Again, I'm a local real estate investor and uh, just want to get to know you in the, in the property. Uh, like, what's the, like, what's the condition of the place? Okay. Uh, I guess from there, you would go into more detail and asking yeah. them questions about the property. And, exactly. But by asking them those questions, they're they're responsive, like they're receptive to answering like, oh, yeah, this home is a little bit older and needs some work here and there and blah, blah, blah. And then. Yeah. So typically, yes. And you can kind of gauge their responses, like how motivated they are. If the more motivated they are, like the better responses and more in depth they'll go. If they're not as motivated, then they'll kind of give you less, less full answers. Like if someone needs to sell a place, they're like, they'll be trying to sell you like, it's, oh, it's a great neighborhood. It's a great house. It's got a lot of potential. You know, they'll, they'll tell you the entire story. Um, so if you do it right, like you can, they just do 80% of the talking. The other wow. thing there is the tonality and like taking it slow. So anything that a telemarketer does, you have to do the opposite. So telemarketers quick, like, hey, uh, I've got this great package for you. It's a cruise, you know, blah, blah, blah. So you have to do everything anti-telemarketer. So you kind of take it slow. There's some pauses. There's some tonality. Like any interest in potentially selling your property, uh, you just kind of do it that way. So uh, just like a quick rule of thumb, like whatever a salesman, like overhyped salesman does, you do the opposite and um, it, it works. Is that just something you've learned or is that something that... Like, is it something from a course you learned or is that something you just picked up as you've been doing like hundreds of calls over the, the years? Kind of learned the hard way on that one. Yeah. <laughs> just doing calls over and over and like, yeah, some of them go really great and some of them go um, not so great. And you figure out like, okay, if I keep doing this thing, I get worse results. If I do this other thing, I on, on average, all things being equal, I get better results. So like, I'll just do the thing that gets better results. Okay. Uh, I think the other thing with cold calling, uh, I've, I have a principle in life called uh, importance so like you know when you go to school you were an engineer so you have you can maybe uh, relate to this like there were people who there's a test coming up and they'd freak out like oh i gotta do awesome on this i gotta get an a i gotta do awesome on this um so i'm gonna study 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 and like those people would do all right but then there was the people who were like cool calm collect like oh there's a test and they kind of barely study but then they ace it 
So that's kind of the principle of importance. So if you really put a lot of importance on something uh, and put like, hey, this has to go a certain way, it's not going to go your way just for some reason. Yeah. Um, so that's the same with cold calling. So if you're like, I got to get a deal, I got to get leads, um, we're just going to come across the wrong way and you're just not going to get any leads. So you just have low importance like, hey, if I get leads and if I get a deal with this cold calling session, great. If I don't, that's totally cool too. Um, but just having the kind of laid back attitude, like you don't have to, you know, get results and you'll ironically get more results. I found it to be the same for almost everything we do. You're like even at work, um, at my old job as an engineer, I did not care about that job at all, but somehow I was outperforming a lot of my other coworkers who really cared about their jobs. Yeah. And you know, when they would get reviewed and they would get low ratings, they would be depressed. They feel so sad. They're like, Oh my God, I poured my heart out all year long. And this is what I get. This sucks. Yeah. But for me, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't even try. And here I am getting like great, great marks. It's, it's crazy. It, it um, is crazy. Maybe it's like a subconscious thing. Right? Like if you try too hard, then you seem too eager and you maybe do bad things, you know, subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're yeah. more laid back, then things just happen and you just have like an abundant mindset. Things just happen. Come to you. Mm-hmm. No, spot on. The, the subconscious is pretty, pretty powerful. Um, so if you're just trying to think through everything consciously, like it's a less powerful filter, it's like a less powerful lens to to get things done. But if you're calm and relaxed, like you can tap into the subconscious. So that's I think that's part of it. Uh, I'm not a you know scientist by background, but um, or not specifically that, but uh, it it works. So I, I don't question it. Nice. And so how are you finding these um, these phone numbers to dial in the first place? Um, yeah, sure. So basically. Um, you have to get the name of the property owner and the, the address. Uh, basically, after that, it's called a, uh, it's called skip tracing. Uh, so they look up, it's like services, and there's different services that do it. And they match like phone numbers and emails and contact information to that specific property and to that specific name. Uh, so you you get a list, you know, let's say 1,000 people, you skip trace it. Now you have phone numbers, then you can start calling these folks. Have you found them to be pretty accurate or do you get like, you know, wrong numbers half the time? It, uh, it's going to depend on the service you use. Um, there are going to be like wrong numbers or like maybe you get a family member. Uh, but that's just, that's just a part of it. You know, if you get, it's just a part of it. Numbers game. Do you have any recommendation for any skip tracing services that you use? I do. I've tried a ton of them. Uh, I've tried like batch skip REI. I've tried like, I've tried a lot of them. I skip genie is the best. Uh, they're a little more pricier. Uh, but I, I would say it's a hundred percent worth it, especially when you're dealing with like spreads, like we're dealing with, like if you can make 20, 30, 40,000 plus net profit on a deal, it makes sense to pay a little extra just so you can get potentially get that phone number to talk to the person who wants to sell the property. Um, so you, you want to pay for the quality just because the, the benefits are huge. Like the benefits of doing an extra deal per year are huge. Um, so I, I like to pay for quality. It's a little more, but, um, um, it's worth it. I'd say. So you say it was skip genie. Skip Genie, yeah. And then uh, what will you pay per record? I think it's 17 cents. Yeah, something like 17 cents. They keep like improving their pricing. Uh, like when I started with them, they're like crazy expensive. And now like their pricing is getting, but they keep lowering it. Um, yeah, 17 or, is not too bad. I mean, I think 15 yeah. is probably the average from what I've heard from other people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, for two cents per record, not too bad. Yeah. yeah. So I happily pay an extra couple cents to to get a hold of people. And that's, that's key. You know, that's really key. Or maybe you have a phone number that gets a hold of a, like a family member and then you can talk to the family member like, Oh, any interest in that person selling it? I've, I actually got a deal that way once or multiple for uh, specifically this one though. Um, I think I spoke to the guy's mom 
and you're like, hey, does this guy, does he want to sell his property? And she's like, oh, I'll have him give you a call. I was like, okay, well, that, this probably isn't going to be a deal just because that's kind of like a, a lackluster answer. Like she could have given me his phone number, but she didn't. And that's that's okay. And then he calls me like, hey, I want to you know sell you a property. I actually bought two houses from him. So oh, very cool. Uh, crazy stuff. Yeah, so it helps. I would happily pay that extra two cents for that record for that phone number to get those two deals. And how about finding the list in the first place? Like how do you, what do you use to generate this list of potential sellers? Yeah, there's a couple ways to do it. Um, you can go to your county and like for, let's say, tax delinquent, for example, like look at your county data. And you can pull it from there. Sometimes it's free. Sometimes you have to pay. For me in my county, it's free. Uh, you kind of have to sift through the data. Um, so that's one way to do it. There's list brokers and like list providers. Um, list source is a good one. List source. Uh, that's who I use. And yeah, but there's other ones. There's other ones. You can get like niche lists. So, And then in terms of like getting the list, uh, what are you looking at? to determine that this is someone that I want to spend money to skip trace and spend time to call? Uh, I think the biggest thing is motivation. Uh, Cause part of what, what we're doing uh, when we're fixing and flipping a house, we like, we have to have some sort of discount and that discount is our profit. Um, so for a discount to make sense, like it has to be a, a pretty steep discount. Um, so like why would someone in the right mind sell their property for half the price? Um, and the answer is like, they have something going on in their life and that could be like a divorce. Maybe they're late on their taxes, bankruptcy. Maybe they inherited the property. They don't want to deal with it. Maybe the property has a ton of repairs. Maybe the property is vacant. So you have this, this source of motivation that's causing people like, Hey, I just want to get rid of this place and I'm less concerned about the price. Um, so you just, you know, source motivation basically. And this source is going to be able to help you filter and tell yeah. you like this person is in bankruptcy. This person has a foreclosure, et cetera. Basically. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So you can just. You know, get a hold of that list because if you like start calling through the phone book, like let's say you open up the phone book and you start calling it a a Anderson, whatever, and say, "Hey, what you want to sell your house?" They might say yes, they might say no. If they say yes, like they're going to want full price because why wouldn't they? Um, unless there is something going on where they're, they're like, "Okay, well maybe I'll take a little bit of a discount because I don't want to deal with it." Gotcha. And you mentioned that your first few deals were wholesale deals, but then you transitioned into flipping houses. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit of a difference, like? Why did you switch from wholesaling to flipping and what's kind of like the pros and cons to each of these strategies? Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's, let's first set definitions here. So wholesaling is where you, you find a seller, you put it on a contract and basically you sell the contract. Um, and then fix and flipping is like you find a seller, you know, find a deal, put on a contract, you buy it, you renovate it, you sell it. So a little bit different here. I know people sometimes use flipping and they kind of throw those under the umbrella, but just to, just to be clear. Um, so first two deals were wholesale deals and I uh, just wanted to you know, kind of dip my toe in the water. Like, okay, let's, you know, let's make this happen. Let's do this. And I didn't like the wholesaling too much just because like you find a deal. Okay. Negotiate, negotiate. Okay. I've got, you know, what I think is a good deal. And then you have to find a cash buyer and like the cash buyer, they want a great deal too. So they're kind of going to beat you up like, Oh, you know, what about this? What about this? And then you kind of get squeezed in the middle. I never liked that kind of, being squeezed in the middle, not having any ownership myself. Um, so I didn't like that. So one of the deals that um, that I was going to take down, like I couldn't find a cash buyer. And I was like, well, shit, let me just take this down myself. And basically what I did, like I found like a money partner. And because I didn't have the money back then, as you can imagine, you just moved, maybe made a couple thousand with a, you know one or two deals and uh, found, found like a money partner. They put in all the money. I found the deal. I would help with the rehab. You know, I help sell it. Then we like split the profit. Um, that's a great way to get started for folks like, you know, low money, you know, no credit, no money type of thing. 
Uh, that's how I was able to do it, you know, just knock it out that way. But I, I really like the fix and flipping. It's cool to see that transformation. Like it's a crummy house, outdated. Now it's suddenly beautiful. Yeah. So let's talk about flipping houses. Did you have any experience with construction before getting to flipping houses? Not really. Not really. Like I would help out as much as possible. Maybe like around the house or like maybe family had some property. I would help out there. Nothing like, hey, I worked a construction job for a couple of years. It was kind of, yeah. So then how did you learn how to flip a house? (laughs) How I did it was the hard way. Uh, I learned through trial and error. So it was like, what's good about real estate and like flipping houses, luckily, is it's a lot of common sense. So if it's like, hey, this kitchen is not so good, then get a new kitchen. Like, hey, this flooring is beat up. Okay, let's get new flooring. So luckily, that was that. And then just kind of figured it out as best as I could. But it was a lot of trial and error. So it was like, okay, let's do this, 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 and call it good. (laughs) And uh, I wouldn't recommend that. I would probably probably the worst way to learn, honestly. (laughs) Do you have like a designer in your family or are you the designer? How do you pick which things to put in? Yeah, so luckily now um, we stage all our properties. So basically staging is the, the process of like you put furniture in temporarily just so people can visualize the space. And then right before you sell it, you take it out. So it's like a temporary furniture rental thing. And the, the lady who does it is our interior designer. So she helps pick uh, helps pick the colors. So she says, like, hey, you do this, do this, you know, for exterior, do this, do this. It's like, okay, cool. So we can knock it out that way. Um, that's how we do it. I'm not great when it comes to picking colors. So I just let her handle it and it's it's worked out so far. That's really smart. Like when I first did my flip projects, I had no eye for design. I have no background in construction. I rely on my GCs to just do all the work for me. And just like you, I was like, man, there are so many paint colors to choose. How do I know what's in fashion? Um, but then, yeah, my stager was like, well, here are the pieces that I'm going to put in the house. It would match well with these type of wall colors, this type of flooring mm-hmm. color, this kind of exterior um, so that helps tremendously. I think yeah. eventually if you do get to a point where you're like doing a lot of flips, especially in high-end neighborhoods, then you should have someone in your team that's like a professional designer to pick out all the different fixtures to make it look really nice. Yeah. And we just repeat colors often. So we always do like gray walls, white trim, kind of light gray flooring. So we pretty much do the same, same type of carpet. So we just keep it simple. Um, so we just use it over and over again. Maybe the question mark is typically like exterior color paint. There's a lot more variables for that. Um, but we have reused the same color paint exterior, like on several houses. So if you look at my portfolio, like you see, you know, the same kind of colors pop up over and over. Yeah. Same cabinets, same like yeah. uh, countertops, <laughs> bathrooms look all the same. Yeah. Same mm-hmm. here. Now, when you mentioned that for your first deal, you found a money partner. Do you want to talk about how you convinced them to fund your deal, even though this is your first one you've ever done? The thing with a money partner is, is like it helps to have a deal and it helps to have a really good deal. So luckily the deal was really good where I could easily show like, okay, this is what we're going to buy it for. This is what we need to put into it. This is what we can sell it for. This is going to be the profit. So let's split that. So rather than having them just have that money sit in the bank account, like now they could, you know, put that money to use. So do you want to make, you know, 1%, 0.1% interest sitting in the bank? Or do you want to put it towards real estate, which is like a real tangible asset, um, you know, appreciating and like it has this potential. Um, so it wasn't much of a sales pitch. It was just like, I got this thing going on. Do you want to do it? And then like the person saw the property and like, yeah, this, this looks good. It looks like it's in good shape and it has potential. So we just, you know, we just did it. And I don't think it's, especially when you have a really good deal, it, uh, you don't have to do much selling. Like if it was a bad deal, like you'd have to really sell it, but this one had a good spread on it. 
And was this private money lender like a family member or a friend from before? Or did you meet them at some real estate networking event? So my first uh, money partner was a family member. And my second one was in my network, like friend, like kept in touch with. And he wanted to, he's like, I want to do real estate. And I was like, okay, cool. So I kept in touch with him. Like, hey, I got a deal. So that was my second guy. Can you give me an example of like a typical deal that you do? Let me, let me tell you about the first one. That's probably, that's because that's pretty typical. Um, just for me in my area, like we typically buy below a hundred thousand, put in some money and then sell for above a hundred thousand is, is how it typically goes. Uh, just cause like more affordable, we're kind of secondary market is a smaller city. Uh, so the, for the first one we bought for one Oh five, uh, we put in about a little under 30 Then we sold for, I think it was one seventy in the end. So it was about 28 K net, which, you know, decent numbers and we split it. And on that one, the money split, again, it was my first deal. So I was just happy to get it done. So I got a third of the profit. The money partner got two thirds of it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, got me 9K, got me started and, you know, got me started to do more, do more volume here. But um, that's typically how our deals work. Uh, We bought another one recently. I think we bought it for 88, put in about like 15 and then we sold for 150, 150 ish. That was another one that closed recently. So we do a lot of those, um, a lot of those types of houses. Did your market take a long time to sell the properties? Like in the Bay Area, you can put a property on the market and two weeks later it's gone. But how's it like over in Gainesville? No, it's it's the same over here. Yeah. Especially now uh, because low inventory, high demand. Uh, We typically get like we listed a mobile home on a Thursday. And I think we got like 15, 20 showings in like two days, two, three days. And then we got four or five offers. So like within not even a weekend, it was sold. Um, so that's, that's the same thing we're seeing here. You just got to price it right. You got to make it look good. Um, but the rest will take care of itself. Do you have any worries about the market softening over the next few months? Oh, I mean, it's, it's already softening. So <laughs> no worries there. Uh, I think people think more about like a crash. Like, oh, is there going to be a market crash? I don't see that happening. I think it's, to use your words, more of a softening. Like it's cooling down where it peaked. Maybe from the recording of this, like six weeks ago, it was the hottest it ever was, like lowest inventory, highest demand. And it's kind of shifting away from that, uh, where it's definitely slowing down. Um, it's still not like a dead market. I think before it was like every house would get 15 offers, and now it's like every house will get like 10 offers. So it's really slowing down. I think it's just going to continue to this trend until it probably gets to pre-corona levels. And I don't know what the baseline is going to be. I don't know if it's going to be like a uh, 2018 or 2017, 2016, or like what that baseline where it's going to settle at. I don't think it's an 0809 just because there's like different fundamental factors at play. Um, but it's, it's going to be a cool down and it has been cooling down. I've definitely felt that. I feel the same way. Um, I think the same thing happened to me personally in 2018, the market was mm-hmm. very, very hot, kind of how it is now. Uh, and then it went up maybe like 10 or 15% from the beginning of 2018, right? So in mm-hmm. half a year, it went up by 10 or 15%. And then it went back down to like late 2017 levels. So from peak to trough, that's a 20% dip. But from year to year, it's like 5% dip. You know, it's not right. a big deal. Um, I think that's what's gonna happen now. Like right now, the market went up so fast, so high, so fast. Uh, when it goes down, it would just be back to where it was before. So not yeah. a big deal if you hold on to it long-term, but if you bought it at the peak and then you get stuck where it's down, you could be in trouble. Now, are you doing anything differently to, I guess, protect yourself from this softening? It's it's the same fundamentals that we're doing. Um, basically, what you're doing when you're flipping, you're buying low, you're selling high. Um, so you any sort of buffer is your profit. So like the more buffer we have in a deal, the better. You know, so if the market softens, you know, five, ten, 
you know, 20%, like we're still good. Like we might break even maybe at 20, 30%, but uh, like we're still, you know, still doing decent. Yeah. What's your typical turn time to, you know, buying a property, to fixing it up, to finally selling it? Uh, we're, we're pretty quick. So we typically do, it's four months closing table to closing table, uh, typically about a month to renovate it on average. Um, then we list it typically within less than two weeks, sometimes just a weekend it's sold. And then um, after that, what happens after that? And that's the long waiting period where it's something like, okay, now they got to do an appraisal and they got to do an inspection and they got to do this and that. And that's what takes a long time. And it's kind of just sitting around and waiting. Yeah. Uh, that takes like 30 days, 45 days. So a lot of the time we're just kind of waiting, honestly. So yeah, makes sense. And, you know, you mentioned you did 20 projects last year. That's a lot of yeah. flips. You know, at my peak, I did four flips at the same time and I couldn't handle it. It was like so much, you know, it's too much work. Uh, how do you manage that many projects at the same time? Uh, we, we just try to keep it as simple as possible. So like we use the same paint and flooring as, as mentioned, we don't add bedrooms, add bathrooms. Like we just keep as much everything the same there. Like even if it's a closed kitchen concept and there's like a kind of an awkward wall in there, we're like, yeah, well, you know, don't worry about it. We don't want to mess around. Once you start opening up walls, you start opening up problems. It's just kind of Murphy's law. Like, oh, well, we didn't know this, this needs to be repaired and now it needs to be repaired. So that that's extra money out of the budget. So that's, that's basically what, uh, what we do. So try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, if you want to think of it more like a wholesale model is basically what we do. Um, that's, that's just how we are able to do more volume. And then we just turn them quick. Um, so that's, that's typically how we do it. I see. So for the most part, you're probably changing the flooring, repainting the house, maybe touching up the kitchen if you needed yeah. to, but if you don't need mm-hmm. to, you're not going to do it. Exactly. Um, cleaning yeah. it up for the next home buyer to buy on re- for retail price. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, maybe we'll take like a little bit of a hit on the sales price, but like it gets gets sold quicker and it's, you know, if they want to do more renovations, that's up to them. Um, but we just you know, keep it simplicity. Simplicity is key just so you yeah. can keep doing these. And do you have the same um, the same crew for the whole jobs or do you have different crews? We try to. We try to. If they're good, we keep them. <laughs> no, they're not always good. Um, so as long as they're good, like we try to use them over and over again. Um, so like, same painter. Okay. Boom. Do the painting, same flooring. Okay. Boom. And they already know what we like. So there's that value as well. So it's like, okay, you know, here's the address. Here's, you know, lockbox code. Like they know what to do, um, which, which makes it easier for everyone, you know, benefits everyone. Uh, Cause it's easier on our end, more efficient. Like they know they have consistent work, which is always positive and then just it's working so far. Are you the general contractor for all of your jobs? No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not licensed or anything like that. If that's what you're asking. Well, not that, but I mean, there are a lot of flippers who decide to take, they, they do their own projects basically where they hire all the subs and have them coordinate. Um, personally, I didn't have any experience with that. So that's why I had to hire a GC, but I was wondering, mm-hmm. like, do you do the same thing? Do you hire a GC? Oh, to okay. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good question. So how I started, I started like more of a do it yourself model. Um, like I would help out as much as possible with the painting, with the flooring, like with you like physically. Demo. Physically me, yeah. there's it. pictures if you want to see on Facebook. It's like years ago and I'm just like sweating, drenched, trying to do some flooring. Uh, we made the, the the mistake of like the AC wasn't fixed yet. And then we're like, okay, well, let's just do the do the flooring. And it's like hot summer Florida. And like I'm sweat drenched in the middle of the day doing flooring. <laughs> I was like, why wouldn't we just wait a day for the AC to be fixed? It's like, oh, no, we had to get it done, I guess. So 
Yeah. Um, but that's that's how I started. So started like helping out, like do it yourself. I wasn't good at it. That was one pitfall. Um, just because like you can't be a jack of all trades. So that was the first thing. Wasn't good at it. Second thing, I realized like my time is really tied up if I'm the one doing it. Uh, so then I switched to like a more like a project manager type of model, general contractor model to to uh, use your words. And I would be like the general contractor. Like, okay, painter, you do the painting. Okay, I would pay him. Flooring guy, do the flooring. Okay, pay him. Roofing guy, do the roofing. Okay, pay him. So that that was working out. That was fine. And then I switched to like that general contract. Like I would just pay someone A to Z and they would take care of it. Uh, so I did that for a little bit. Uh, then I switched kind of back like didn't hire it. That was like an actual general contractor, insured, licensed, all that stuff. I found that was a little more expensive than I wanted it to be because um, they you know, they want to make their money. Um, so then I switched to this kind of hybrid. Um, so I have a project manager and she takes care of like, she would be like the boots on the ground. Like, okay, painter, did you do a good job? Okay, here's your check. You know, flooring guy, did you do a good job? Okay, here's your check. So that's that's the model I'm using now. I just kind of pay her a flat fee to, to manage it. So that makes my life a lot easier. I can focus on other stuff. Yeah, she's like an in-house crew member too now, right? She, she directs like yeah. to you. She's not part of some other person's uh, contract yeah, company. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, how do you go about finding good people to do your jobs? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, uh, there's a couple things there to unpack. So I would say like the first thing, just realize there is going to be some trial and error. Like you're not going to bat a thousand. Um, so that's the value of doing volume. So let's say you have to hire five people for your first job. Let's say like the first three, like you got paint, flooring, roof, you know, HVAC, whatever, plumbing. Uh, let's say the first three are awesome. You're like, okay, I want to use them again. And your last two are not so good. So like, okay, don't use them again. So for your next flip, you already got three great people. So you're just going to fill in two spots. It's like, okay, let's say one of those spots is filled. Okay, cool. Next flip, this is flip number three. Okay, you got four good people. Now you just got to fill one spot. So it is trial and error, unfortunately. Um, like there's ways to vet vet people ahead of time, like look for red flags, that sort of thing. Um, so that's what I recommend. Just it, there is going to be trial and error. Like you can't get around it. I wish you could hire people and they do an awesome job every time, but th- there you don't know how they're going to work out until you actually have them work. That's true. You need to like try them first, right? Yeah. Sometimes I have people on like smaller jobs and just see how they do on the smaller ones. If they're responsive, yeah. if the quality is good. Mm-hmm. And if it's good, then we can upgrade them to bigger jobs in the future. No, um, spot on. Like to, I like to think of it like a little step, like stepwise kind of function, like stair steps. Like you don't want to say like, oh, here's a $100,000 check, you know, renovate this house and I'll, I'll give you a call in three months and I'll check it out and hopefully you're done. It's like, okay, no, can you do this bathroom? Oh, you did a good job on the bathroom. Okay, can you handle, you know, this section of the house? Okay, can you do this next thing? So I'm with you there. Um I've seen a lot of people make the mistake. They throw this huge project at someone brand new and then lo and behold, like it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst. Um, my girlfriend and I are on a contract right now for a property over in Texas. So we're based in California. We're trying to do like, we want to get the experience, right? Uh, I've yeah. flipped projects before, but like I mentioned before, I did everything through a GC. I just paid mm-hmm. a GC. I've come back, you know, a week, two weeks and be like, okay, here's the progress. But I didn't really learn much. So we're trying to get that experience of like, seeing what it takes to renovate a whole house and luckily properties in texas and florida are a lot cheaper than they are here in the bay area so we can afford to like you know play around and mess around um so i mean i'm in the process of like creating a new team again in texas and it's mm-hmm. it's been interesting i have to make a lot of phone calls and like you yeah. don't know who's gonna work out right you have no idea until you actually try them 
Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. That's why I recommend like getting one market and sticking to it just because you build momentum. Like you can use the same contractors over and over again. You can use, I mean, same lenders. You can use same inspectors, appraisers. Um, you can use the same title company. So it just becomes easier. Then you kind of build your reputation, assuming you did a good job. You can build a reputation, then it becomes like a flywheel where you just gain momentum on its own. So um, my first deal was hard as hell again. And then the next deal, like this this week, I picked up like three deals under contract. Wow. Um, one of them was my own, two, you know, sourced elsewhere. Um, and the point is like, it's a, it's a momentum thing. Like, so you build momentum. So it's hard to build momentum in like eight different markets. When you say you source deals from elsewhere, are these like agents who have pocket listings or wholesalers who happen to have off-market deals as well? Yeah, exactly. So like outside source, like kind of bird dogs, like people who bring you deals. So this one, one I sourced on my own, that was cold calling and the other two were wholesalers. So, yeah, I mean, you're also known as the guy that actually buys properties and can complete deals. So they're going to come back to you for more. Whereas if you're like a brand new person, if you're, if it's like me, right, some guy out of state, they're like, I don't know, is this guy going to close? We don't know if this guy's real or, or not. Yeah, like you're established in the market. Exactly. Well, for example, so one wholesaler I bought six deals off of him last year. Oh, and then another wholesaler bought three. So like it's you know you have the reputation. It's also like oh I've worked with these people before, so it just it makes it easy to be the first phone call. Right, and the referral basis too. Like if there's a new wholesaler, like oh I have this deal, who should I give it to? And then it's like oh go talk to him. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm the biggest flipper in Alachua County yet. I'm not sure. Um, but um, it'd be great to be that, you know, be that person. You get all the deals, you know. Absolutely. And I guess going to financing. So for your first few, you were doing private money, um, having someone come right. in with the, the cash to then put down and pay for everything. What are you doing now? Uh, I'm doing everything. So like private money, hard money, self-funded as much as possible. So I, I run the gamut of everything possible. Wow. Uh, I guess when do you decide to use which strategy? Depends on the deal. Depends on the deal and depends on like what resources I have available. Um, so it just, it just depends. I wish I can give you a better answer, but uh, it, it just depends. It just so depends. would you like, do you prefer to use cash when you have cash available or the opposite or how do you determine? It's just like a per deal basis. And I just have a feel for like where my money partners are at. Like if one like really wants to do a deal, I'll, I'll do a deal with them. If someone's like, Hey, we've got enough going then I, you know, put them on hold, put them on the back burner. It was like a juggling act is how I think of it. Um, and then I think the thing, you know, really nailing down financing is key. Like, I don't think I would have been able to do so much so quickly without, you know, having the, the funding, you know, sourced. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know if you know this, but I actually work as a hard money lender. So oh, cool. all day, every day, I'm talking to investors and uh, offering to, you know, fund their deals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one big challenge that they have is that a lot of new investors don't have the money for the down payment. Because like for us, yeah. we don't give 100% financing for our hard money loans. Um, so, I mean, this is where I think these new investors should reach out to their network. And if they really have a good deal, find someone that has that 20% for the down payment to then fund the project. I know one of my really good friends, like his first project, he made $300,000 in net profit from one deal, right? He did it, same thing as you, where he sourced it. He was on Google Maps. He found this one home, really ugly, right? Yeah. Cold called that house. He somehow got it under contract, but he had no money. Um, but was able to get a hard money loan for 80%. He found someone in his office to cover the down payment and rehab mm-hmm. costs, holding costs, whatever. And yeah, so they made a lot of money on that, on that so one. He, so he retired or what's, what's the story with him? <laughs> you know, you'd be surprised. Um, in the Bay Area, these numbers happen quite quite often. Uh, not all the time and definitely not for every investor, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so now he, he does wholesaling full-time now. 
So oh, great. I've had him on my show a couple times too. I'm a good, good, good friend yeah, of mine. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, private money lending, creative financing, uh, hard money loans, combining everything together is super important to get deals done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what are your plans for the future? What's next for you? More flips, more deals, bigger deals, better deals. I'm just like I mentioned, you know, it's, it's one of these things like before it was like, hey, I, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And honestly, like I'm at a point like, hey, this is it. Like this is the thing. So it's not like I, I want to do anything else like this. This is it. Like I just want to do more of it. Um, so, you know, I don't know what the goal is going to be next year. So fingers crossed we hit the 30 this year. Maybe it's going to be 40 next year. I don't know. Um, but just it'll just do more of this, you know, do more of this. Um, probably build out a better team. Probably my next hire. So I have the project manager, which is great. My next hire is probably like an acquisitions guy. Uh, I still do my own appointments and visit the properties, but if I can, you know, outsource that, that's probably my next step. This is it. This is it. I know a lot of people use like flipping, like, oh, I'll do flipping and then I'll get into commercial or, you know, then I'll get into like the software company or, oh, hard money lending. I hear about that quite a bit. I I just want to do this. I'm happy doing this. So that's the plan. So what's the difference? Like how, how, how do you get to 40 like next year versus like when you did 20 last year, that's already a lot. So like, what's the difference that will get you to 40? Um, especially for beginners, like it's, it's the same fundamentals. It's two things like money and uh, deals. So that, that's basically what it is. So it's money and deals. I'm confident on the money part just cause like, as I'm doing this, like I'm starting to build a name for myself, you know, hop on podcasts like yourself, like people are like, yeah, I want in, you know, let's partner. So that, that's, that's less of the limiting return, limiting factor here. So it's going to be like, can I source the deals? You know, can I source the deals and feel comfortable taking down the deals? It's not just going out and buying 40. It's like, can I, you know, turn them around, flip them? And am I not, you know, losing sleep doing it? So um, that's it. So it's pretty much like, can I source the deals? Is the Makes sense. So like over time, as you get better, as you do more and more projects, more people will know about you. They'll be willing to partner with you and fund your deals. So that's the mm-hmm. money portion. And then for deals, again, same reputation. Like you're known to complete deals. You pay everyone on time. People like you and they're just going to start sending you more deals. So maybe in the future, yeah. you're not going to be the one just cold calling all day. You're just going to be given a lot of these leads from uh, wholesalers and, and realtors, right? To be able to do those for deals. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So um, I mean, earlier in the call, you also mentioned that you also host a coaching program to help newer real estate investors get started with flipping houses. Do you want to talk a little bit about your coaching program? Um, sure. Yeah. So, so as I was getting started and, you know, getting some success, people started asking like, Hey, how are you doing it? How can I get started? A lot of people want to get started in real estate. They just don't know how. Um, so I, I mentor people nationwide, like how to get started flipping, like how do you get the money? How do you run your numbers? How do you, you know, deal with contractors? How do you get deals? So I teach folks A to Z and, um, yeah, it's been really, really fruitful. Like how to get people from their first to their first deal and get them to six figures flipping houses. Uh, so that's, that's pretty much it. It's, it's been enjoyable. It's been really enjoyable. Are you doing these all through like a, a zoom call? Is it one-on-one or is it kind of a classroom setting? Um, if I had to put it, you know, put a label on it, it's more like group coaching, but you get access to me. So it's kind of like a group coaching model. That's been really, really well, you know, working out, creating a ton of success for students. Um, mm-hmm. and it works. So I'm not going to, you know, I don't plan to change it. Yeah. And how often do you guys have these meetings? Um, so it's, it's pretty open. So we have twice a week meetings and then people can still schedule like one-on-one with me if they want help. And then they have, uh, what's called a Voxer. So it's like a little walkie talkie app. So they can hit me up anytime. Uh, if they have a question, I can walk them through anything. Um, it seems to, you know, it seems to work. It seems to help people have that, like that direct access. 
Um, and it's, it's working. So I, you know, can't be mad at it. Yeah. Oh, who do you think would be like a good fit for this kind of program? Uh, I typically work with like real estate beginners. So if you're like wanting to get started and want to get your first deal, it's a good fit. If you've done a couple deals, but it's kind of inconsistent, um, I can help you get that consistency if you like want to scale up. So it's typically in two buckets is who I work with, like people going from zero to one and then people going from like one to six figures. So if like folks listening to this, because I'm, I'm not a fit for everyone. Um, if folks are like at my same level, like they're doing 20 deals a year, I, I probably can't help. Uh, but if, you know, if you're one of those two buckets, I can help. Awesome. And so where can people find out more about this program? Uh, yeah, for sure. So I have a free Facebook group called Six Figure House Flippers. Um, I do a ton of great stuff in there. I do lives, Q&As, like you know, repair estimate guides, like everything is in there. Like I share some of my own flips, all that stuff. So the fa- if you look me up on Facebook or go to that Six Figure House Flipper, you can, you know, uh, you can find out more about me. If you want to talk about mentorship, great. If you don't want to talk about mentorship, totally cool. There's still a lot of free resources in there to, to help your listeners out. Cool. Well, Victor, it's been a great conversation. Do you have any last words before we end our show today? I think the biggest thing, one of my, I guess I call it a regret. Um, I had a mentor a while back who told me to get started in real estate like five or six years ago. I didn't listen and I should have. And I ended up getting started like two and a half years ago, basically. And if you just follow and walk the line of like that exponential growth I've had so far, which has been great. Like I did two my first year, eight the second year, 20 last year, then 30 this year. Like it's growing exponentially. So I would say to your listeners, you know, just get started ASAP, like get started today because you'll be surprised where you're at, you know, one year from now, three years from now, five years from now, just because it's not linear. It's, it's exponential if you do it right. Um, so that value of getting started, it's not just missing out on, you know, one deal, two deals. It's like missing out on a lot, a lot of, lot of deals. And that's, that's life changing. So just getting started, even if you take a step and it's the wrong step, at least you learn something, you know, not to take that step anymore. Uh, so I, w- I would just say, just get started. Yeah, that's great advice. I read a blog post a couple of years ago and this guy, he wrote some really funny article. He said, how I messed up and I lost $10,000 this month. He said, mm-hmm. He didn't, really, he didn't really lose $10,000, but when we said it was last month, I made $10,000 from my like online services. Um, so if I started a month earlier, I would have an extra $10,000 now, right? Oh, so similar to what you're yeah. saying, just start earlier than maybe you would have had 40 deals two years ago, right? And now exactly. you've got 160 deals. Who knows? <laughs> so yeah, just get started, hang with the right people. That's all advice. Victor, where can people find out more about you? So uh, the Facebook group is probably best. Or if you look me up on Facebook, Victor Yurchek, uh, J-I-R-A-C-E-K. Luckily, my name's pretty unique. So if like if you look me up, I'll, I'm the first one to pop up. So that's a you know it's a benefit here. So look me up on Facebook, and you know I have a YouTube channel. Typically, I'm best on Facebook though. So look me up, and yeah, let's go from there. Awesome. Well, Victor, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.